and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. You know, we're in this series titled, We Are Generous, and sometimes I feel like there are series that we do, and it's like I'm rebuking the church that I lead, you know, but this is one of those where... I feel like I get to celebrate with you guys and encourage you guys that you're doing well and that you're doing a good job because if there's one thing this community is, it's generous. Y'all are generous. So pastor appreciation just wrapped up and we feel overwhelmed by the way that y'all blessed us. And I just wanted to personally thank everyone who gave uh, finances to people who have dropped off food, done gifts, whatever. Y'all found ways. Y'all got creative with your generosity and that really means a ton to us. So I just wanted to publicly uh, thank you guys from stage for doing that. You know, we find ourselves in a series, like I said, titled, We Are Generous. And um, that's one of our core values as a church. And it's not just a cute phrase that we say around here. We developed our core values by uh, looking at the scriptures and gleaning what we believe the characteristics of the church are supposed to be according to the Lord's will. Okay, and when we look at the New Testament breaking out in its purest form in the first couple chapters of Acts, we see one thing that the church undeniably is, is generous. So check this out in Acts 2, verses 40 through 47. It says, a deep sense of awe came over them all. This is talking about the church, them all, the believers, all the believers. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers, they met together in one place and they, they shared everything they had because they were generous. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need because they were generous. And they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes uh, for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Because, you know, if you had lack and I had surplus, then I covered your lack with what I had. And if you had lack, then, then I covered you. It was a community that was generous. And you'll see in this last verse here, it says, And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And I think that there's something so attractive and appealing and compelling about community, a community of people who are generous, right? I, I think the generosity, and we serve a generous God, so Jesus followers should be generous, amen? But, but when a community is devoted and committed to being generous, there's something incredibly attractive about that. So I just want to continue this conversation about how there's a calling on believers today, and there's a calling on this house um, to be generous. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we love you, and I am so grateful for the opportunity to communicate your word, communicate your truth, and uh, to preach. Uh, I just love this, Lord, and I just pray that you would clothe every word that comes out of my mouth, um, that you would wrap it in anointing, God, that it would penetrate our hearts. I pray that you'd till the soil of our hearts to receive the seed of your word, that it would take root and grow to produce fruit in our lives. We don't want to just read your word and just listen to it and uh, not be transformed by it. God, I pray that as we listen to it, we would be compelled, we would be empowered by your spirit to apply it to our lives. Uh, I believe that's true wisdom, and that's where we'll really see transformation. So transform us with your word, and I pray that this church would foster kids in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Speaking of pastor appreciation, um, a little less than three years ago, 
Abigail and I took the campus pastor job here. And, uh, you know, word, word spreads fast in Marshfield, small town. And uh, a lot of people found out that they were hiring a 25-year-old kid to be the campus pastor, and everyone was really excited about that. <laughs> if you were here during that time, you know it's true. I remember sitting at one of my buddies' house, you know, maybe like two years after, I don't know, some a, a significant amount of months after we had been the campus pastors and we were sitting at his table eating dinner. And he goes, man, I, I got to confess something to you. I'm like, all right, you know, lay it on me. And <clears throat> he goes, when I found out that they were hiring you as the new campus pastor, I wasn't very happy about it. In fact, I called Pastor Chad and I had some choice words for him and said, you're, you're doing what? You're, you're making who? So that was an, an encouraging thought. He said, but I love you now and, and we're good now. I said, praise God. There was another time I was in a truck with one of my buddies from the church, different guy. And he goes, I got to be honest with you, man. <laughs> he goes, First time I heard you preach, ah, you really just weren't my cup of tea. <laughs> well, thanks for being honest, man. Uh, I feel built up. Praise God, I feel built up. He goes, but I, I like you now. I enjoy it now. <laughs> okay, that's good. Praise God. But one of my favorite moments is actually with Jeremy Day in the room, and I told him I was telling him a story about him. Why don't you stand up first, Jeremy Day, so we can all stand at you. Come on. Right before, whoa, pull the lasso out, swing it around, come on, <laughs> cowboy. So we uh, go to this little staff hangout party to kind of a meet and greet with the staff because we're, we're just, you know, we're getting introduced to the community and meeting the people and, and all of that. So we're having, a, I think it was Cinco de Mayo and we're eating tacos and hanging out. And Jeremy Day takes it upon himself to grill me. He takes it upon himself to have his own little interview with me. His wife at the time was overseeing our kids' ministry, Joni. She did an incredible job with that. And uh, so he's sitting there, and he's asking me all these questions, you know, just trying to get to know me. And there's no smile. There's really no grace. He's just like, so uh, you buying a house or you renting a place? You buying a house or you renting a place? And I'm like, oh, we're, we're, we're actually buying a house. You know, we, we just purchased our first home and, and we're really excited about it. And he, and, and he looks at me, facial expression doesn't change at all. Still very pretty intense. And, you know, what's funny is he's kind of a big teddy bear, but I was like, man, this guy's kind of mean. You know what I mean? This guy's going to beat me up. Are you living in town? Yep, yep. Bought a, just bought a house in town. It's our first house. He looks at me and goes, good, good. <laughs> okay. You like that? I like that. All right. Okay. And that was, after I said that, there was a quick moment where I think he broke a little bit. He smiled a little bit. And the reason I share that story is because when I told him that we had purchased a house in town, that purchase said something about our priority, right? So when he heard, oh, you've, you've purchased, you've bought in, you've put your treasure there, you've invested. It said something about the intentionality of Abigail and I. It communicated, we're here. We want to grow roots. We want to get involved. We want to be invested. We're, we we want to stick around. And, and, and it, it was just a purchase, right? But it communicated all of that. And here's what I know to be true. Our purchases say a lot about our priorities. And the way we spend our money tells a lot about our motive. And this isn't just, you know, some sexy phrase. Uh, this is scripture. This is scripture. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, it says this. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them 
and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal, store your treasures in heaven. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. And this is verse 21, and this is so good. It says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Where our treasure is says a lot about our heart. So in week two, I want to talk a little bit about a believer's relationship with money, with our treasure. And I want to talk a little bit about how we can practically demonstrate specifically with our treasure that the Lord is our priority. Okay? You say sexy and everybody starts walking out of the room. Come on. (laughs) Just lighten up, people. You know? I'm just playing. I'm just playing. All right. Here we go. Exodus 13.1. I want to start us off. I want to start us off in the Old Testament. And and I want to bring something through about remembering that demonstrating the Lord is our priority. Okay, starting there. Demonstrating the Lord is our priority. So in Exodus 13, verses 1 and 2, it says this. um, Then the Lord said to Moses, dedicate to me every firstborn. Say firstborn. Okay, firstborn. So the fir- not the secondborn, not the thirdborn, the firstborn. Dedicate the firstborn among the Israelites, the first offspring to be born of both humans and animals uh, belongs to me. So the Lord says, you know, sacrifice the firstborns, they belong to me. A couple of verses down in Exodus 13 goes on to say this. This is what you must do when the Lord fulfills the promise he swore to you and to your ancestors. When he gives you the land where the Canaanites now live, you must present all firstborn sons and firstborn man, male animals to the Lord, for they belong to him. So every firstborn son goes to the Lord, is dedicated to the Lord. Every firstborn animal is dedicated to the Lord, okay? A firstborn, and then, and then he goes on to say, um, verse 13, a firstborn donkey may be brought back from the Lord by presenting a lamb or young goat in its place. So in Old Testament times, what the law declared some animals clean and other animals unclean. We're only going to be here for a second, so just hang with me. We'll get through, we'll get through this and then, and then get on with the rest of the message. But there were clean animals and unclean animals. So the firstborn of the clean animals could just be sacrificed, but the firstborn of the unclean animals, uh, you weren't going to sacrifice one of those firstborns. You were either going to kill the firstborn Uh, Just break its neck, not sacrifice it, just kill it, or sacrifice a lamb in its place, okay? And that's what the the scripture goes on to say. It says, a firstborn donkey may be brought back by the Lord, uh, uh, or bought back from the Lord by presenting a lamb or a young goat in its place. But if you do not buy it back, you must break its neck. However, you must buy back every firstborn son. So you're not allowed to break your firstborn son's neck, you got to redeem him, okay? What we see with the animals, with the firstborn animals and with the firstborn son is they either need to be sacrificed, given to God, or they need to be redeemed, okay? Two options, either sacrificed or redeemed. If the animal was considered clean, the firstborn of that type of animal was to be sacrificed. Um, And then this was also true for the firstborn sons. And then to redeem their, you know, to redeem the firstborn son's sinful nature, they needed to sacrifice a lamb in, in, in his place to dedicate them to God to deal with that sinful nature, okay? If an animal was considered unclean, you wouldn't sacrifice, sacrifice that animal's firstborn. You'd either break its neck or redeem it with um, a lamb or a goat. <clears throat> For example, the donkey was an unclean animal. So the sacrifice of the lamb 
would make the donkey clean. And here's a little spoiler alert. I think we're all a bunch of donkeys in the room. Okay, I could use another word, but I'm going to keep it G-rated. Amen? We're not that non-denominational, okay? (laughs) Here's the deal, y'all. We needed a spotless lamb. Uh, We were born unclean. We were born in need of redeeming. The human heart is evil from, from birth, right? Um, and, and the law stated that if the firstborn animal was clean, it was to be sacrificed. But if the firstborn was unclean, it needed to be redeemed. And there's a parallel here. Jesus was God's firstborn son, and he was born clean, and he was born pure and spotless for every one of us, right? And, and he was the sacrifice for all of humanity that would redeem all of our souls. So we we would be considered clean to our Father. Amen. Are you grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus? So it was the firstborn. It was the firstborn that covered the rest. In the same way with the animals and with the son, when there was the sacrifice, it was the first that was sacrificed and it covered the rest. And there's a principle here. When you give of your first, it covers the rest. There's a blessing. There's a covering that when you put God first is the priority and you say, above all, God, you're my provider. You're my sustainer. Everything I have belongs to you. So I'm going to give you the first of what I have and the best of what I have, he blesses the rest. That's what we see. There's a principle here. There's a covering, a blessing, a redeeming that takes place. So I do eventually want to get into tithing because this is where we're headed, but I want to continue to just uh, illustrate for you using the scriptures how there's this, there's this fruit in giving our first fruits, okay? So then we see <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the, the idea of our first fruits and offering those. In Proverbs 3, verses 9 through 10, you see this. He writes, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. So, not your second fruits, not your third fruits, your first fruits, right? And if you honor the Lord with your wealth, if you honor the Lord with the first part of what you receive, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So you can see when you give God of your first, even though it might feel like loss in the moment, even though it's like, I didn't know if they were going to grow and the grapes look great. Give them to God, right? Believing that he's going to bless and redeem the rest, that it's going it, it, to do something for the rest of the crop. Exodus 23, 19, it says, bring the best of the first fruits of the soil to the house of the Lord your God. There's something about offering, you know, the best part, that first part of our wealth to the Lord. Now for us, I don't know any of y'all growing grapes in the room, you know, but for us, that, that's what our finances re- represent. Our finances in this culture and in this time, really our treasure is a representation of our first fruits, Right? You know, but there's a story here. Before I even get into that, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But there's a story uh, in the Old Testament in Joshua 
where Moses has died. God's anointed Joshua to be the new leader of the Israelites. Y'all remember that story? Okay, and and they cross the river and they get into Jericho. This is the first city that they're going to take over. There's other cities and other battles that are going to have to be fought on their way to the promised land, but Jericho is the first one. Everyone say the first one. Okay, that's important. So they walk into the city, right? It's a fortified city. There's walls and they march around it seven times and the walls fall down and the Lord gives them specific instruction for just Jericho. Don't take any of the treasures. Leave it all there. And they, he actually put it in the, the treasury of the Lord. So the bronze, the silver, the gold, don't take it for yourself. Set it apart for the Lord. This is the first city. The first fruits, right? So everybody's like, okay, this, this is the Lord's. This is set apart for him. But there's one guy named Achan who takes some of the treasures for himself, okay? He stores them in his camp. He buries them in his camp. And you'll see that there's, um, so, so, so as the story continues, they go on to fight their next battle in the next region called Ai. It's a small region a battle they should very easily win. Like if they were going to lose one, it would have been Jericho, but they were successful there, okay? So they go to either like, nah, only send 3,000 of us. Like we don't even need to send all of us because we'll be good. We'll dominate them. But they go in and very quickly they realize we're battling without a covering. We're, we're operating outside of the blessing of God right now. And they're fighting this small region or tribe or whatever they might be referred to as I, and I is dominating them. So the Israelites are like, oh my gosh, they're killing us. And, and they run. And it's like, what happened, Lord? Where were you? You've abandoned us. Well, come to find out they weren't under the covering because Achan had been disobedient and kept some of those first fruits for himself. And they, and they had lost that covering. And, and once, you know, they deal with Achan, which is kind of a gnarly story, but they receive that covering and that blessing again. There's another story in Genesis where you have Cain and Abel. So Adam and Eve's first two kids, Cain and Abel, you know, they're two sons. They kind of have a, a moment with the Lord of bringing sacrifices to the Lord. And I think there's something to be observed in that story. So check this out. Uh, Genesis 4, verses 3 through 5. It says, in the course of time, so <clears throat> there's been a, a period of time. There's been some time, right? It says, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. So Cain is casual here, okay? He brings some of his fruits. Did it say first fruits? It said some of his fruits, Okay. <laughs> And then verse four, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the, of his flock. So we see his first, what he received right away. Verse five, but on Cain, oh, I'm sorry. Then the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And sometimes, maybe we've read that story, and, and God, why did you not look on Cain's offering with favor? And we see that Cain waited. He accumulated some stuff, which doesn't require faith, which doesn't communicate that, God, you're my priority, and remind us that, God, you're my supplier, and everything I have belongs to you. It's, no, I'm going to do what I feel like, and I'm going to provide for me, right? I'm going to elevate 
myself. Come on, and we know the scriptures say those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Cain waited until he accumulated some stuff. Then he brought it to God. And the principle is God first. God is our priority. And it says Abel gave fat portions from the firstborn to the Lord. He didn't wait to accumulate enough and make sure, okay, we're good. We're good. All the bills covered. Okay. All right. Now we can give. No, no, no. It's like in, in faith. Okay, God, I'm going to, I'm going to give this to you. Right. It says God rejected Cain's offering, but accepted Abel's. Why? I really believe it has a lot to do with the order, the priority. Amen. And this is why Jesus followers, why we so value the act of tithing, because we understand the significance there. We understand the blessing that, that takes place on the rest of our finances when we're willing to give, you know, the first part of our treasure to the Lord. Um, we, we understand the ramifications of that, the positive ramifications. So what is tithing? Uh, to tithe means tenth. And tithing is a practice of setting aside 10% of your increase in profits to support the work of the Lord. And we're first introduced to this whole concept of tithing in Genesis chapter 14. Okay, uh, Abraham is known as Abram as the time. Um, he has an interaction with Melchizedek, who's a king and who's a priest. And right there, it's the first moment where we see Abram gave him 10%, gave him a tenth of everything he had. Gave him a tenth of everything he owned. That's the first tithe that we see break out in the Bible. And then a few chapters later in Genesis 28, Jacob, he sets up a pillar, which uh, represents, you know, God's house. And he vows to give a tenth of all he has to God. And then years later, after the Israelites conquered the promised land, the priests and the Levites, they live off the tithes of the tribe. Okay, the priests live off the tithes from the other tribes. And you'll see at the very end of the Old Testament how much the Lord values the tithe. Y'all with me? Check this out, Malachi 3. God says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then God invites them, test me in this. Do this, test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And, and I think we have to remember that God inviting us to give to him is actually for our good. It's not because he wants to take away from us. But I honestly just wonder if it's something practical. He's, in, he's instated out of love for us to remember that he remains priority. The scripture tells us we can't serve two masters. We can't serve God in money and something really practical to keep him first, to keep our eyes fixed on him, to remind ourselves he's our supplier and our sustainer is take the first of what we own, a tenth and say, this is yours. I recognize it comes from you. I recognize that everything I have is yours. And honestly, you, I, and I trust you with it more than I trust myself. Come on, it takes faith to take the first portion and say, it's yours. See if I won't throw open floodgates of heaven. So something that's debated, you know, because we have the law, you know, the Old Testament law, now we're under the law of the Spirit, and uh, 
you know, there's this question of, is tithing still relevant for today? Should believers still tithe for today? Is that something that's important? And uh, just to be really blunt and really clear so there's no confusion, I'd say, yes, 100%, absolutely, we should tithe. Um, tithe is often considered a New Testament practice, which no longer applies to the modern-day Christian. However, I think that the New Testament makes argument that tithing is still for today and is still for the New Testament believer. This, this is Jesus himself. Okay, Matthew 23, verse 23, he's talking to the religious leaders who are doing their tithes, but the intention and their motive of their tithes and all their other religious um, aspects and opportunities are to put up their nose and say, look how spiritual we are. Look how much we tithe. Look how much we do. We do these good things and look how much we pray and blah, 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 blah. So Jesus is addressing their heart and he's saying, y'all forgot about love and y'all forgot about mercy. And those are the things that I value most, right? But he still addresses tithing. And I think it's, you know, we, we just need to take note because this is coming out of the master's mouth. So, so these words carry weight. Check this out. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Then Jesus says, it's small, but he says it here. He says, you should tithe, yeah, but do not neglect the more important things, okay? Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, he also points out an equivalence between the priests in the Old Testament and how they made a living and how New Testament gospel workers should make a living. Check this out, 1 Corinthians 9, 13 through 14. Don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals from the offerings brought to the temple? And those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offerings? And then he says in the, so he's addressing the Old Testament priests, how they would live off the tithes of the people, right? But then he says, in the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it, okay? So I believe that the New Testament, I need to preach that every week. Come on now, just... <laughs> Those are kind of the verses that are awkward to preach sometimes, you know what I mean? But it says, and I believe the New Testament provides some, I believe the New Testament provides some strong exhortations that tithing still has a place in our spiritual lives today, okay? Something I think the scriptures clearly lay out is that the first has the power to bless the rest. And I think we continuously see that. Uh, worship team, you can come because I'm kind of landing this plane here. Remember, God is saying, put me first, and I'll bless the rest. So Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and to the place of worship, right? That there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't have enough room for it. Even further than that, the Father gives us his, you know, I think something we have to remember that he gave Jesus for us, his firstborn for us, the sinless, spotless, purified lamb of God. He gave us Jesus. And some of us are holding on to the things that aren't even yours in the first place. You're just a manager of them saying, uh, I'll give you a little bit, but God gave you his best. How could we not in return give him the best of what we have? Amen. Why wouldn't you give him your first and your best? So when answering this question, why, why should I tithe? 
I, I think among the blessing and among the covering, I think tithing is a way of teaching us that God has to be our first priority. And it's a really practical way to demonstrate that we trust him, that we believe him. We believe in his provision. We believe him to provide for us. We believe that he's enough, that he's the creator and the sustainer of all life. So when we tithe, we're, we're communicating so much about what's in our heart. Where's our treasure going? Deuteronomy says this, verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 22. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all your, all your fields produce each year. And then it says, eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. So he's saying, your place of worship, bring these things, eat, eat, eat those tithes in the presence of the Lord, save it for a meal in the presence of the Lord. But why? So that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. And, and it's like God saying, this is, this is to keep your eyes fixed on me because I want to be the priority in your life be, because I can give you a life that you can't give yourself. Amen. I, I can do for you what you can't do for yourself. Our tithing is a constant reminder that God always comes first. And here's the deal. Like, we have to have this message because I want to lead a people that's blessed. And if God says, give and I'll throw open the floodgates of heaven over your life, then I'm going to suggest that, hey, maybe we should commit ourselves to giving. Maybe we should get, commit ourselves to soaring to, the, you know, sowing into the storehouse. Um, so again, it's it's not the most fun message. It's not the most emotional message, but it's, it might be one of the more fruitful messages that we give outside of Jesus saves. Come on. Amen. Which is the great is that, that God gave us the lamb to redeem us. But I think, you know, I don't know. Here, here's what I know. When, when we took this job, my wife and I personally, we took a pay cut, yet God has given us everything we've ever needed. Amen. And he's given us more. And we've continued to sow faithful. And if I went through the room, and I know, I know there's people in the room who have their testimonies too, but if you've been faithful to sow to the house of God, you've experienced the blessing of God too. And I bet if I went through the room, people could testify of how God is faithful. And when he asks us to do something, he always comes through. So here's the deal. Once a year, I got to remind you guys, hey, tithing's really important. I think the Lord loves it. And if you want the rest to be blessed, come on, give them your first. Amen. Is that okay? All right, let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. I'm so grateful to be in a community of people who are devoted to honoring and glorifying you. God, if we've been holding on to things, keeping them from you, keeping them for ourselves, convict our hearts to live in a way that's going to edify our spirits in a new way, that's going to open up the blessings that you have for us. God, if we've been in the way of ourselves, convict us of that. Give us courage to give. Give us a new courage to trust your word, to trust your provision, to trust Trust that you're able. We're grateful for your son, Jesus, that you gave to redeem all of us. Help us to follow in your footsteps, to live generously. Have you been so generous to us? In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Come on, let's stand and worship. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.